Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 127. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, Mr. Peyton Burton, Mr. Phil Dexter. Happy late Boxing Day if you're in the UK. Happy late Merry Christmas to all you around the world listening and watching in on this show today. Fellas, how was your Christmas? Um, It was good. It was actually really good. It fucking, I woke up at like 8.30 in the morning. Open up some presents with my nieces and nephew and obviously the rest of the people at our house. Um, played some video games. Um, had a good night. Did some drinking. You no, know, Josh got me this fucking, like, 15 yeah, shots of Fireball. Um, matter of <laughs> fact, I got one right here, and I'll take it here in a minute um, after I'm done. But uh, at the top of it off, go, Pat, go, motherfuckers. Don't let us oh, get in the playoffs, baby. Don't Phil, do it. Don't Phil, let us get in the playoffs. Phil, our buddy uh, Johnny Stroud, me and him's been talking for the last couple weeks, and he's in agreement. And I've been screaming from the top of my lungs, "Don't fuck around and let Green Bay get in the playoffs, baby! Don't let them do it." Yeah, I mean, our, our track record as underdogs in the playoffs is pretty damn good. So, so I'll take it. We we still need a couple things to swing our way, but things are looking good. And uh, yeah, yesterday Christmas was a good day. Had uh, did some drinking last night as well. Me and my buddy uh, Elijah Craig met up for uh for a few shots and got got a little uh got a little tipsy but uh yeah just happy to uh spend it you know with, with my family and then uh, also with my work family gotta gotta shout out my boys at the office we had a we had a good one so well um one other thing on uh the packers too is a couple things the last time we won the super bowl we had to come in as the wild card and we went to philadelphia beat them we beat uh, Atlanta, and we beat the Bears on the road en route to beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. So do not let the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers get in the playoffs, baby, as an underdog. So I'm telling do you, it. Y'all, don't, y'all don't want none. I promise you. I promise you and this. Be- you do not want Green Bay. Before we get into the college basketball, man, that championship game against the Bears, I don't know about y'all, but that was the most nerve-wracking game of my fucking life. Absolutely. Like, there was no way I wanted to lose to the Bears in that game, but I've never been happier to win a playoff game getting to do it in Chicago to go to the Super Bowl with that pussy more... Jake Cutler sitting on the sideline. Uh, I was more nervous about that game than I was the Super Bowl against the Steelers. I thought once we got there, we would handle the Steelers. Just my opinion. Well, I didn't even I didn't even care necessarily if we lost to the Steelers. Like, obviously, you want to win that game, but it's like we can't lose to the Bears in the NFC Championship game. I don't give a fuck if it's in Chicago. Like, I just, I forever, like, me and you, Josh, have both been pretty spoiled. And, I mean, especially Peyton, have been spoiled as Packer fans to just witness dominance over the Bears for, like, 30-plus years. Um, Because it, it was rough. Like, right before our time, the Bears were fucking kicking the Packers well, ass was, year in year out that was the monster of the midway teams oh yeah 70s and 80s I mean just just all the time so yeah we've been lucky to witness the uh, the Packer dominance over Chicago yeah man uh, I, I'm telling you do not fuck around and let Green Bay in the playoffs baby I, I promise you hey joining us on the show right now 
Uh, first time back, you know, uh, Indiana didn't lose the game this week, so he's back with us. Uh, our friend and yours, Mr. Corey Gardner. Corey, two things before you say a word. Why in the hell didn't you man up and show up after the Indiana losses? And two, how was your Christmas, my friend? Well, first off, I just want to say one thing was that was on Peyton because somebody forgot to send me the invite. Uh, I don't act like you haven't joined the middle of the show before. Come on now. I, I hey, I'm it. sorry. You, I'm sorry you sent it, you know, with five minutes left in the show when I finally got it. Um, and secondly, I was, you know, I was debating on whether, you know, Indiana was going to even be relevant in the Big Ten this year or not. And then secondly, it was pretty good. Uh, we got to hang out, see some uh, some family, see some friends. And then uh, I'm actually on my way down to Florida right now. So uh, going down to get away from the cold weather we have up north. So please, well, you're going to cold weather, but please tell me you're not a fair weather fan. You mentioned you were debating if Indiana was going to be relevant in the Big Ten. I mean, in hindsight, you lost the two final four caliber teams. And we talked about it on the show both weeks, Phil and I and Peyton and I and all of us. Indiana is still, I think, a good team. But I think what they got shown is there's a completely another level that they have to get to if they want to be an elite team again. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm, I'm never a Fairweather fan. I was there, you know, back when the uh, the debacle after Calvin Sampson happened. And, you know, I supported them and attended games when they won, you know, six to eight games a year, all the way up through rebuilding and then the the, uh, the great collapse of Archie Miller again. But, no, they uh, they still have lacked a lot of, a lot of the, the desire and a lot of the talent-wise, they still need to be an elite team. They still have a long ways to go. They're a lot better than what they were, but the shooting and just the overall, uh, the overall kind of talent-wise is just a little bit lacking for what they need to have. Uh, kind of, kind of being you know driven with the ball and you know being really strong with it and kind of being able to guard it and still at that elite level is well, still lacking. Well, even even basic shit like the turnovers against. Kansas they had 23 turnovers, 17 steals for the Jayhawks, and the majority of those they were just throwing the ball to Kansas. Um, point guard play, it's the same stuff we've talked about point guard play, three point shooting. Those are the keys for Indiana. And in both those games against Arizona and Kansas, neither one were great. I know Arizona they shot 10 threes, they hit 10 threes, which was better, but overall scheme wasn't great. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that episode 127 of the Everything College Basketball podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. Great collection of uh, people over there covering college basketball from top to bottom. We're excited to be a part of them this year. Uh, got a nice little Christmas gift from our boys over at the House Enterprises, a little show of gratitude, so we're excited about that. Grateful to be a part of the House Enterprise and House of College Hoops umbrella this year for everything college basketball. Also... Would be remiss if we didn't shout out our title sponsor, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. Stop in. They've got the winter specials on the drinks this or this month right now. Stop in. Tell the owner, Natasha, or whoever's working that day, the ECB sent you. Get 10% off your entire purchase. Also, one last bit of housekeeping business to take care of. As always, we are live on the YouTube and the Twitter. The Twitter's growing, by the way. Like, in the last month, we are growing in not only followers, but, like, activity. And if you compare our activity to our posts, especially the top 25 polls and certain stuff we put out, we are very comparable to the the top brands in college basketball right now. Like, the Twitter has become a huge deal for us, Phil. You know that? 
Yeah, man, like you said, we've been getting a lot of engagement with the uh, Top 25 poll. And just, you know, in general, you guys all do a great job, you know, posting during games you're watching and shit. So I think we just, you know, we we all are on there quite a bit, you know, engaging with different fan bases. And it's definitely it's paying off right now. Yeah, yeah man, I agree. Most people, most of our engagement has come from doing this Top 25 poll every week. Um, the retro logos, everybody but one person seems to love the retro logos. <laughs> and the one person is, needs to be grateful that their fucking team is even in the Top 25, so kiss my ass on that. Uh, talk about Corey real quick. I haven't talked to his ass in the feels like three weeks. Um, so I just want to bring something up to him. He said he is in a fair weather fan, and while I agree, but just in case, Corey, if you want to switch teams, I got a list of my 76 favorite teams, as you said, that you could choose from. <laughs> So, go ahead. Um, I'm glad you're back. And uh, got a shot of fireball here. This is for your Indiana Hoosiers. They can kiss my ass. Go, Pat, go. Go, cause Fuck Kentucky. <laughs> All right. Hey, now. By the way, Peyton, Peyton, hold on. Before you get going, Josh, I got to say one thing. Indiana held on to the ball like Peyton holds on to a favorite team. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of change in possession. You know, so. Yeah, hold on my nuts. How about that? Oh, this is, uh, man, Merry Christmas to all. You guys can tell the love here. <laughs> Peyton, you brought up Kentucky. We'll we'll get into that here later on in the show, but for those watching on the YouTube and the Twitter right now, Peyton, I'm rocking my Kentucky blue. You're in the Cardinal red. We got a showdown to talk about here in a little bit. There's not much going to be a showdown, but I'm interested <laughs> to talk about it. It ain't going to be much of a showdown, but. We'll get into it. We got a few things to take care of. We actually we pre-recorded an ever an interview with Brian Ralph of Heat Check College Basketball back on Thursday evening ahead of the snowstorms here in Indiana. We will be playing that here shortly. It's a good little 17-minute interview. Pick Brian's brain. He he travels the country watching college basketball. He's got one of the premier websites covering the world of college basketball in the nation right now and in the world, to be honest. So it's a good little interview. We'll be playing that here soon. A few other things we want to tidy up at the top of the show. We didn't mention it last week, and that was we meant to and completely forgot about it. Phil brought it up. So, Phil, I'm going to let you take over. The whole Chris Beard saga, sad situation, some twists and turns. Um, fill everybody in on what is going on with Chris Beard in Texas. Well, yeah. So before I guess I get to the new latest twist or turn or whatever, you know, he's suspended right now, uh, had like a domestic incident. Um, now his fiance is saying that he did not strangle her, which which is kind of a, a funny. I, I shouldn't say funny. Funny is not the right word, but uh, just a, a weird turn of events. Um, and I think it's ultimately going to well, result ironic. in Chris Beard being. Yeah, exactly. Ironic is much a better choice of words, but uh Chris Beard's going to be back here relatively soon. I think this was the uh, the reason that Texas was looking for to be able to reinstate him. Um, not saying there's anything nefarious at play, but you know who knows? A, a booster may have put a check in a mailbox, and that something like that would not surprise me at all in a case like this. But ultimately, if you're a good coach, they're going to look for whatever reason they can to bring you back. And I think Chris Beard will be reinstated quite shortly. What? Well, it's so odd because it kind of came out of the blue. It happened, I think, at like four in the morning on a Monday, and his team played that night, and he was detained in jail. And and these are situations we've got to be very careful about because you don't want to incriminate somebody, and you don't want to pass judgment without the full story. So we got to be careful when we talk about this. But what we know is what Phil said is that 
somewhere around like three or four in the morning out in Texas, he was arrested for like a domestic, I don't think it was violence. I forget the, the actual terminology, but a domestic dispute. And it was claimed that a party, he had strangled a party uh, that was living in his household and he was taken to jail and detained. Obviously didn't coach that night, hasn't coached since. Then Phil mentioned that it comes to find out it was his, apparently his fiance and that she's now saying that he didn't strangle her. Who knows what the hell is going on? But I know this isn't a great look one way or another. If he didn't do it and he's falsely accused, then that is a terrible look to accuse somebody of that. And if he did do it, I don't think there's any way he can coach college basketball again, at least not for a year or two. One of the things that got me was in the report that came out just you know yesterday or the other day was that he uh, or that she said that she told the police that he didn't you know or that it was brought on by her and that she acted out in violence first and things like that. So it's like you know if that happens, it's like why you know why is the police so quick to judge and, and things and you know just jump straight into arresting him without kind of you know finding out both parties. But you know it was just a, a wild turn. You know what what actually did happen that you know originally on that Monday morning. Well, part of his release, too, that I remember seeing is that he had a no, was a no contact order. He couldn't be within like, was it 500 feet of the home? I mean, a lot of craziness. And again, it's not a good look one way or the other. So it's still a developing story. Chris Beard, as of this recording on December 26th, has not been reinstated. We still don't know what the hell is going to happen with legal implications, his coaching career, but Big topic of discussion last couple weeks in college basketball because it came out of the blue. And it's just one of those things, man, you don't want to talk about. You, you don't ever hope that happens. It's crazy. But we got, an, I mean, another kind of transition away from something that's super serious like that to something that another piece of business out of the blue. Phil, I tagged you in this article that I've seen on Twitter. And newcomer to the Big Ten, he's done a tremendous job in his first half season so far with the Maryland Terrapins. But he, he's stirring up a little controversy, Mr. Kevin Willard is. Go ahead and let the people know what is exactly he's in the line of fire for. Well, he's he's a little upset at uh, the, the Big Ten conference schedules. So Maryland only plays two of their first seven Big Ten games at home. Um, and he's, he's a little unhappy about that. And... He just said that he basically thinks because they were, you know, at the bottom of the conference or projected to be at the bottom of the conference that he thinks the Big Ten screwed him a little bit with the scheduling. He also said he said, uh, you know, the big he was talking about the Big East, but he said they would never load up first uh, five of your first seven on the road. Said, I just started, you know, I'm an outsider looking in now being in the conference. I can understand why there's been such a long national championship drought in the Big Ten because I just don't think they know how to schedule. So that's, <laughs> end quote. So that's a pretty uh, scathing review, I would say, of the Big Ten scheduling. Yeah, and it's it's another element we didn't think about, because we've spent, you remember we talked to John Adams back in the summer about the Big Ten, and he had his own theory as to why the Big Ten is struggles in the NCAA tournament, and his revolved around officiating, the way the game is called, the certain officials that they have, then they get into the or the NCAA tournament, and they, they just can't keep pace. Well, now this adds a new layer, because on top of officiating, which we already kind of knew with style of play, now you throw in something else like scheduling. 
the Big Ten, it just seems like they cannot get out of their own way. And that's a big reason why is why a team from the Big Ten Conference who year in and year out is either the best conference or one of the top two or three, bar none in the country, that they, with all these teams they get in the tournament, sometimes eight, nine, ten teams, that they can't crack the code and win a title since 2000? I mean, what are we to do with the Big Ten right now? Well, and again, you know, Willard mentioned that later in the same in the same quote when he was he said Tom Izzo and Matt Painter, these guys are legendary coaches, Hall of Fame coaches. Fran McCaffrey in this league is unbelievable. But there's a reason why they haven't won a championship since 2000. It's not the coaches. Um, he just there. There's obviously you know there's something going on in the Big Ten between the officiating, the scheduling. Um, Kevin Willard did mention he thinks that with the uh, Big Ten ACC challenge ending, that the flexibility in the non-conference will be increased a little bit, which he thinks will help. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting to see. At some point, the the Big Ten is gonna have to get off the schneid, I would say. But I, I don't think it's this year. I mean, you really only have one maybe elite team in Purdue, and other than that, I don't see another team coming out of the woodwork as a, a national title contender. Yeah, I think that Well, let's continues. look at Maryland's. Uh... Go ahead. That's all I got to say. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm with. Um, I'm, I was pulling Maryland's schedule up here and something popped up. But you look at Maryland's schedule in the Big Ten from January 1st to January 31st. Uh, well, this takes us through the month of January. On the road at Michigan, on the road at Rutgers, home Ohio State, at Iowa, home Michigan, at Purdue. And then you get three straight home games, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Indiana, Then, and that's that's through January. So while, yes, that you do play a lot of road games early, I mean, you do kind of get a handful of home games at on the back end. So uh, what is it? One, two, three, four. Four of your last seven are at home. So as long as you hold home court, and I know it, on the life on the road and conference play is not easy regardless, but, I mean, you do get a – you know, a lot of home games per se on the back end. So I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. Like I agree with him because I think the big 10 has got to be better as far as scheduling, refereeing style of play, all that, but you know, playing devil's advocate, you know, yeah, you play a lot early, but you'll get a lot of home games at the back end. And if you're in the conference title race and that's good for you. Yeah, I get that. But the thing is with me and I agree with him hundred percent, the big 10 as it is, it's tough it's tough anyways, but when you're playing majority of your away games to start a Big Ten play, to start it off right off the bat, I mean, that's just fucking ridiculous. I agree. The scheduling has to get better because there's no need to play majority of your away games um, to start Big Ten conference play because I don't think any other conference does that shit at all. Well, and it kills any chance you have of building any momentum. I mean, like you mentioned, Josh, yeah, you're going to get those return home games at the end of the season, so it ultimately balances out, but it kills any chance you have to really build a strong case. Like you have to win those home games at that point. Like you have no margin for error. And and let's be honest. And I'm sure he, again, he would probably still be upset, but I think what really upsets him is if you look at those, you mentioned four, the first seven or whatever, or only playing two home games in the first seven. Right. But you look at the away games, the first part there at Michigan, at Rutgers, at Iowa, at Purdue. Now, if these were flipped, and let's say they were at Northwestern, at Nebraska, at a couple of the bottom feeder teams, 
I don't know if he would be as upset, but the fact you got to go to Michigan, we know how damn tough Rutgers is to play when they're playing at home. At Iowa is never easy. And then you got to go to the number one team in the country at Purdue January 22nd. So I think maybe that has as much to do with it as anything. Again, if they were bottom feeder teams, then he might not care as much. But you're playing four of the best teams on the road early. Well, and and to that point a little bit, Josh, there's really not any bottom feeder teams in the Big Ten. I mean, other than Minnesota, maybe. That's a fair point. You know, there's there's 13 pretty damn good teams in the Big Ten. So, you know, part of it is that just, you know, Big Ten play is as much of a grind as any conferences. Yeah, maybe they don't have the elite teams at the top of the conference like the SEC or, you know, Big 12 or even ACC does. But as far as the middle of the conference, like – there's no conference that's deeper. Hands down, Big and, Ten deepest conference. And how dare we disrespect Northwestern? Nine and two, 45th in Ken Palm, won four in a row, including a win over Michigan State. Come on now. How, how dare we disrespect Chris Collins and company? <laughs> Again, we'll see if they can get through that meat grinder of Big Ten play. That's that's what seems to tear all these teams down. You know, we're going to talk about it a little bit, probably with the Big East later, but some of these conferences just cannibalize themselves a little bit in the middle of the pack because they just beat up on each other so much. Well, speaking of Big Ten play, I think this is as good a transition as ever. We're going to take you now to the pre-recorded interview we did with Brian Ralph of Heat Check College Basketball. We talked some Big Ten. I think the first question we opened up was about Indiana. He talked some Big Ten. He talked some teams around the country. It's a great interview and a great insight with Brian, who I mentioned travels the glo- or traveled to the country covering college basketball. Great member of the ECB family, puts his articles in the Ralph Report in the Facebook group. Great little interview here with us. We're going to play that. We're going to play some ads, and we'll come right back with you with more live episode of 127 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast right after this interview. Joining us live here on episode 127 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast is Mr. Brian Ralph from Heat Check CBB. Brian, we've been trying to get you on for... I think like last year, I think, was when Phil first tried to contact you. I know it's busy with college basketball, but it's a pleasure mm-hmm. having you on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Finally, finally, we were able to make it work. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Man, it is a busy time of year, and I know we're a month into the season right now. A lot of different storylines, but where I'd like to start off with you here is we have a big contingent of Indiana fans. And mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, Indiana is exactly – kind of who we thought they were. Obviously, Xavier Johnson going down with an indefinite injury. We don't know the official timetable. Nice win against North Carolina and Xavier, and then get embarrassed by Arizona, Kansas. From your viewpoint, your thoughts one month in the season on the Indiana Hoosiers? I think you said it right in that we are they are who we thought they were. Um, I think what the problem that comes in there is some people got ahead of themselves and thought they were a, a top 15 team preseason and they never really were that Jalen Huchifino makes a huge difference with this team and the playmaking shot creation he has on the outside that's an element of the game that Indiana has been lacking last couple of years but that core that's been around Trace Action Davis, Ray Thompson that core is fine not great just fine so we're seeing a team that so far has been fine to you know, slightly, slightly above average, right? And I think that's where Jalen Huchifino comes into play there. Xavier Johnson injury certainly throws a wrench into things because he was the closest thing they had to a pure point guard. 
there's talent there, there's size there, but there still is a lack of shooting uh, and still, I think, some offensive explosiveness outside of Fuchifino. So this is a team that I don't think they should be sweating out in the NCAA tournament like they were last year. They're certainly much better than that. But I also think they're a team that might be bouncing in and out of the top 25 this year. Like, I think the expectations of being the clear Big Ten favorite and a clear top 10 team are, are certainly gone. Well, I, I fully agree with that. And I think this Xavier Johnson injury, actually, it could be a big negative, but it could be a positive by the, the we always said for the last year, we've said you either get good Xavier Johnson or you get bad Xavier. Good Xavier Johnson is what we've seen at Xavier when they beat the Musketeers on the road and mm -hmm. in the North Carolina game. Bad Xavier Johnson is what we've seen prior to the injury at Kansas, the Arizona game where he's turning the ball over. The reason I said this could be a good thing because maybe now, as long as he's healthy, Jalen Hitchapino dominates the ball. They can play that slowdown offense in which they like to play and limit turnovers. Bad thing without Xavier Johnson, you lose your tempo because he was the one guy that could push the pace for him, knock down some shots, and like you mentioned, an experienced point guard. Um, I, I do think Indiana is exactly who we thought they are. I think they're going to be all right. But just kind of want to get your thoughts early because we have a large contingent of Indiana, Purdue fan base that lives and dies with their Hoosiers, man. And I think after that Kansas butt whoop in there, they're a little unlocked or, you know, rocky road right now. So yeah, I kind of want to get your thoughts on them. That was a reality check game and that you're there. They weren't quite there. I certainly think that they've made a, a step forward from last year, but they're also not the team that was red hot those two weeks and made that run in the Big Ten tournament. That's not who they are on a consistent basis. Uh, I think they're a borderline top 25 team. Fuchifino handles the ball more. Anytime you can get your best player the ball and have him be your primary decision maker, that's going to be a good thing. Um, so to your point, I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff without Xavier Johnson. Um, but not having a true point guard is certainly something to monitor. Absolutely. Well, sticking Still in the Big Ten, Brian, you mentioned that you didn't think Indiana was, you know, the favorite at this point. Is Purdue the team that you think, you know, takes over in Big Ten play? Or do you think that maybe with that advanced scouting, the way Big Ten teams tend to lock in on each other, that they get beat up on a little bit in Big Ten play as well? I think Purdue has to be. I, I don't think it's a one of those conference races where there's a clear top team and nobody else is going to touch them no matter what. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of good teams in the Big Ten, right? But Purdue, the way they've played so far, I, I think they're number one for a reason. The big thing that's come through for Purdue this year has been, been two things. Zach Eady stayed on the court for 32-plus minutes a game, which looks like it's going to continue. Having him out there that long, that's a great thing. The other part is the freshman backcourt is playing incredible and playing at an incredibly high level. And that's one thing that – was not expected. And so now the question becomes, okay, can they maintain that high level of play? So if they go from being one of the nation's best backcourts to just being one of the big tens, best backcourts, I think that Purdue is vulnerable and you could see some other teams jump in there, potentially win the big 10 instead of Purdue. But if, if that backcourt is playing at a high level and maintains this level of play, Purdue has to be the favorite. One of the the big 10, one of those teams I think could potentially win the conference this year that surprised me a lot is Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 9-2, and they're like 36 in Ken Palm, shooting 37.4% from the three-point line. Um, they got two losses on the season, but those two losses was overtime loss to Kansas, which took a Bobby Pettiford game-winning layup to do so. And they lost by three, 78-75 to a Wake Forest team who just beat Duke this week. Um, they got some decent wins against Marquette, Maryland, Iowa. 
what's your thoughts on what Greg Gard has done this season for Wisconsin? This is this is what Greg Gard does. I think he's one of the more underrated coaches nationally because we always accept, expect Wisconsin to take a step back every offseason, right? It's like, oh, they, they lost these guys. There's no way they can replace them. And then there's development that happens and, and breakout guys. They have another good season that competes for a Big Ten title or wins a Big Ten title. Then it comes, oh, well, they lose those guys. I don't see who's replacing them. I think they take a step back this season. And it the, the cycle just continues over <laughs> and over again. And I, I think we're seeing that this year, right? Um, they've, they've had a number of guys step up. Uh, Tyler Wall has been excellent. Chucky Hepburn's always t- 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 taking a big step forward. Um, Stephen Crowell on the inside as well. Guys are, are making an impact. And it, it helps when you have a program with the kind of culture and defined style of play that Wisconsin has. Players know their roles. They know what roles uh, they can go into and what's expected of them. And they 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 don't beat themselves. And and that can take you a long way in college basketball when you have 18, 19, 20-year-olds trying to make decisions on the fly, right? Sometimes sometimes there are questionable decisions that are made in there. So um, I don't know if they have the top-end talent to win the league again like they did last year. That was a, a Johnny Davis thing. And there's no Johnny Davis on this yeah, roster. they don't have a Johnny Davis. yeah. But they're good enough, I think, to be a top 25 team, finish in the top four and get a double bye in the conference tournament. And I'm with you. And we got to send a special shout out to the Indiana boys, a freshman this year, Connor at CGN. Uh, he played well down there in battle for Atlantis, stepped up in a couple key moments for him. Hey, we talked to Peyton and I talked about it last week on episode 126, kind of looking at the first month of college basketball as a whole. And you again, you don't want to overreact, but we do have a bigger sample size with a month in. So I want to put it to you a month into the season, kind of a couple teams and it doesn't have to be an exact number, but just a couple teams that stand out as maybe some that have been more disappointing to you, like a Creighton was for us and mm-hmm. some that's been more impressive like a Yukon. Cause I don't think there's any chance any of us saw Yukon being this good, this early dominating by double figures on just about every single game. Yeah. Purdue is certainly one of them because I think it's sustainable this is the best version of Purdue. I don't think you're getting better than this, but I think it's better than anything we thought we were going to get in the preseason. UConn's in the same boat in terms of this is as good as I think UConn can be. I don't know how much better they're going to get as the season goes on. Right now, the way they're playing is good enough for them to win a national championship, but they're not going to get better, and other teams in the country are going to get better. So that's one thing I'm interested in looking for with UConn. Disappointment-wise, Creighton is certainly up there. The shooting splits between what they did during their six-game win streak at the start of the season and six-game losing streak recently, completely different teams. You had one of the better shooting teams in the country in the last six games, they're not one of the worst shooting teams in the country. They're going to find a middle ground somewhere, but I also don't think they're as good as they probably looked earlier on in the season. Um, I also – I'm going to flip back to teams I like now. <laughs> I really like Miami. Oh, and yes. Love Miami right they're now. They're a team that isn't getting talked about as much, and I'm not really sure why, considering they brought back some pieces from the Elite Eight team, landed two of the top transfers in the portal, Nigel Pack and North Chad O'Meara. Um, Isaiah Wong is an All-American candidate. I think he's how, kind of a player in the ACC. How good did Wong look against uh, Virginia the other night? He's, he's awesome. and Tremendous. He's, and he's been awesome. And I think we overlook him a little bit because he plays at Miami and not a ACC power or national power, certainly. Um, but the pedigree that, that they have now, making the Elite Eight last season, a couple of the guys that have coming in, the way they play, went over Virginia, 
they're they're a really good team that I don't think it's is getting enough credit right now. No, I'm completely with you, and uh, I think we kind of joke with the Miami situation all you know off season and summer about the NIL and all that. But we love Jim Larinaga as a coach. We kind of can dub him as super consistent. You know what you're going to get at Miami. And they just, they're one of those teams coming off of an Elite Eight last year. They're one of those teams that you just don't look forward to playing against. I don't think these ACC yeah. teams, whether you're Duke, Carolina at their peak, I just don't think they want to play Miami, especially right now with the backcourt that they have. Uh, I'm with you. I think Miami's been super impressive. Hey, what about some of the freshmen in the country right now? Brandon Miller has got to stand out above everybody else. I mean, Nick Smith's kind of getting it rolling. I know he's back on the IR, so to speak, with load management. Didn't mm-hmm. play last night. But some of the top-tier freshmen, it wasn't necessarily the most sexy class coming in mm-hmm. compared to other years. But, God, a guy like Brandon Miller has been so good. Can you talk about some of these star freshmen this year so far? Yeah, Brandon Miller has been awesome. Um, and I think he's played his way into being the first college player taken in the draft. And I think that's part of the reason we haven't – seen as much hype around the freshmen is the fact that the clear cut top guys who are going to go early in the draft one, two, and probably three aren't college players, right? You have Victor Rumbanyama and then you have um, Scoot Henderson who's playing for G League Ignite and Amen Thompson who's playing for overtime elite. So the fact that there's not like a obvious top three pick as I think lessened some of the national attention that we typically pay to freshmen, but Brandon Miller has been playing awesome. I think he's certainly in the conversation with the first, first guy drafted out of college really good size. He has shown excellent playmaking or uh, shot creation skills off the dribble for somebody who's that size. You don't see that often. So he's going to go pretty high and it certainly had a huge impact. He scored 30 plus uh, against Gonzaga. He kept them in that game. Nick Smith has the ability. We haven't quite seen it yet because of the the injuries he's been dealing with. Uh, but the guy who's impressed me the most is Keontae George at Baylor. He's somebody who is a, is a probably traditional shooting guard, right? He's, Six five, decent size. He is a great shot creator off the dribble. He's somebody who can score from all three levels. Doesn't need you to run and play for him. If you just give him the ball, he will find a way to score. He's also been a better playmaker than he's gotten credit for, and I think um, people recognize. He has a, several games this year where he's got seven, eight assists. He's leading uh, Baylor in that category, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly. Um, he is just an overall offensive menace, a guy who – we talked earlier about Hutchfino. You want your best player to have the ball in his hands. Good things happen when he can't take George has the ball in his hands, whether he's scoring or, or passing, creating a play for somebody else. He's been the one who's been most impressive. And I think Baylor's one of those teams that's been pretty good this year, is what we thought. They're going to go as far as Keontae George takes them. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I'm, I'm going to let Phil wrap this up, but it, it's amazing looking at a couple of those star freshmen. And you look at a guy like Amari Bailey, who has not shown out whatsoever mm-hmm. this year. Um, Phil, I'm gonna let you, I know Brian's time is precious and we appreciate him on film. I'll let you close this thing out. Yeah, I just want to switch gears a little bit here. You know, we've talked about a lot of the teams and the players kind of in the national spotlight, but mm-hmm. want to shine some spotlight on maybe some mid-major teams that you like that we should keep an eye on throughout conference play, you know, as we head into tournament play. The team that I, re- I really like is James Madison. Um, it hurts that they lost to Coppin State this week so it's not not as <laughs> as it was beforehand um but james madison is a team that has a lot of offensive firepower um i think they're leading the country in scoring they've crossed 100 in more games and they haven't hit 100 this season going into sunbelt play sunbelt's a very good league this year uh, they have a chance to to win it or at least be in the mix and, and put themselves in position for a good conference tournament run 
given their offensive firepower, they're a team that if they get to the tournament, no power conference team is going to want to face them. They've already played Virginia at Virginia. Uh, they had the chance to take the lead late in that game, and I think ended up losing by five or six, a couple possessions. They were in the game against UNC at Chapel Hill as well. That was a game that they had the ball, were down one or two possessions in the, the last couple minutes. They've already been tested against some of the best teams and, and held their own. So to me, if they're able to, to manage Sunbelt play and, and be consistent and not, and not have the, the kind of compensate performance, they're a team that's going to be dangerous to watch in the Sunbelt. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, the loss of Cop and State, because I think Phil had mentioned it to me, um, didn't they have some issue? Is this the game, Phil, that they had an issue with the refereeing in this one, where they had refs missing? Yeah, the refs didn't show up. They had to delay the game by like 45 minutes. Um, the James Madison coach kind of implied after the game that he wasn't sure who these replacement referees were. Um, not not saying anything nefarious happened. I don't think there was any egregious calls or anything like that. But yeah, it was kind of a shit show. Yeah, yeah and you're not saying it's not either. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it's one of those games that because we're, we're in winter break for a lot of schools that was played like middle of the day in front of no people. There's been some weird things that have happened this week because of that. Um, so I'm willing to throw that out as an outlier from James Madison because um, other than that, they've been really, really good this year. Well, we love the James Madison pick, and we will definitely keep an eye on them. And, man, we appreciate you. Like I said, it, we I think we've been trying for a year to get you on. It's just scheduling conflicts and everything. So it's been a pleasure having you on, Brian, with us. Uh, if you real quick tell everybody where to catch your media at, where to catch where you're at. I know you've been in and out of games, so let the people know where they can find you at. Yeah, you can uh, – website tchecksbb.com. Uh, you can find everything you want as a college basketball fan. We try and cover the game from all angles – for college basketball fans, we're not going to hit on the same top three headlines that every site has picked. Our goal is to uh, make you a smarter college basketball fan and point point out some things that might be happening down the road and things you should be looking for. Um, HeatCheckCB.com, you can find me on Twitter at BRALF33. It's B-R-A-U-F-33. i got a couple of good things coming down the pipe. Um, I have Ralph Report uh, that I publish every Monday and Friday that's up on the site. I also have an interview with Jalen Pickett. That's going to be coming out here in a little bit um, and a couple more features and things like that we have coming down the line. So really, really excited about what we have coming up on HeatCheckCBB.com. Cannot wait the, that Jalen Pickett. He has been phenomenal this year. I can't wait to see what you have in store with that. And plus, man, the Ralph Report, every week you post it into the ECB Facebook group. We are, we're glad to have you part of the ECB family. And uh, we can't wait to get you back on, man. I like said, I know schedules are tight and different because it's so busy throughout the season, but – We'll try to get you back on and uh, talk some more college hoops, but we appreciate your time today, man, and I hope you have a Merry Christmas until we get to talk again. Yeah, thank you guys. You guys are the same. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Ralph from Heat Check College Basketball. Um, phenomenal interview. We're going to take a commercial break here, and when we come back, we got more Everything College Basketball, episode 127, coming right at you here in just a minute. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise. 
and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. What a great interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Brian was a good dude, man. His time was short, but uh, like I said, we heard said on the pod or on the interview that we've been trying to get a new one for a year. It's just scheduling conflicts. This dude is a busy man. Uh, he's happy to have him a part of the everything college basketball family. Go give heat check college basketball some love. You can find him on Twitter. He posts articles on the Facebook group. One of the best sources for college basketball news and media you'll find and just what a good dude, man. That was a fun interview. Yeah, I'm glad that he joined us finally after a year of trying to get him on. Um, it was a pleasure having him on. He's definitely a very insightful, very smart individual when it comes to covering college basketball. He's been doing it for a while now. Um, make sure you go check out Heat Check CBB and check out what they're doing and check out his interview with uh, Jalen Pickett from uh, Penn State because it's definitely interesting. Yeah, Brian's a really good dude. Um, just a fantastic writer. Like both y'all mentioned, I enjoy reading the uh, Ralph Report every week. Um, and he gave us some great stuff, some really good insight into Indiana. Um, loved his pick with the uh, mid-major team to watch out for and James Madison. They're a really fun team to watch. So, yeah, really enjoyed doing the interview with him. Yeah, a lot of fun, man. We can't wait to have Brian back on the show. Hey, while we were on that little break there while the interview played, Phil, you got some good news, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, at weird timing, but uh, got credentialed for the uh, John Wall this weekend, so we'll be covering that on behalf of uh, House of College Hoops and ECB. Um, looking forward to it. So yeah, John Wall Invitational have uh, four of the top twelve high school teams in the country there. Ton of top players uh, should be a great time, including Kentucky commit DJ Wagner and Aaron Bradshaw still plays there as well, right? He plays with Camden still. Yeah, yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to be able to be there live and in living color to see them, which will be a lot of fun. But on this Christmas, post-Christmas edition of Everything College Basketball Podcast, fellas, we did not, we mentioned it last week, not a whole lot of games to discuss. There's a few. We will get into that. And we'll talk a little bit about this upcoming week's slate. But let's start with, it was on Tuesday night. It was my bank on it, which I got correct if you listen to episode 126. Virginia went down to Miami for an ACC tilt and the Hurricanes rocked you like a hurricane in that one, baby, because Miami held on to win 66-64. They were up, um, how much did they get? They got up 15 points in the second half 
41-26, and Virginia mounted a comeback, but Miami was just too much. We talked a little bit with Brian about it, but how good was Isaiah Wong in this game? 24 points, six rebounds, five assists. Ken Palm MVP. The Hurricanes, yet again, coming off the Elite Eight from last year. We know how good Larinaga is as a coach. Everybody knows that. Since he's got to Miami, they went from essentially a doormat in the Big East and the ACC to a team that wins ACC titles and contends at the top. This Miami team, with their backcourt play, and we know backcourt play means a lot come NCAA tournament time. This Miami team could be one of those sneaky teams that could get to an Elite Eight again. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the backcourt and Isaiah Wong, but uh, Norchad O'Meara in that game specifically was, you know, one of the most physical players I've seen all year. Uh, the officiating allowed him to maybe get away with a few things that he probably won't normally get away with, but he definitely sets a physical tone for them. Um, but Isaiah Wong is like a true superstar. I think Brian mentioned it a little bit in our interview with him. Uh, but 24 points in this game on 7 of 13 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3-point land, including a fucking amazing four-point play. Um, completely dominated the first half. A little concerned with what I've seen out of Virginia in some of these big games, though. You know, Reese Beekman needs to be better in these big games. He finishes with 10 points in this one, but was just absolutely invisible early. And I think, to be fair, he was coming off of an injury, so I don't know how completely fit he was, but I'm I'm with you. Outside of uh, early games, who was it that Virginia beat? Or they went to Michigan and beat Michigan. But, yeah, these big games. Like, Baylor, just, the, the big Baylor, Baylor game. That's right. Yeah. In, in the Illinois game. In the Illinois game. But the yeah. last couple games, I'm with you. When they're at home against Houston, they don't really show up like you think. And then going on the road to Miami. So, I don't know what to make of Virginia. We know when they're firing and they're playing their defensive brand of basketball that they can make a Final Four. But I don't know how well I trust them right now. Well, and they're just guard play in general needs to be better. I mean, Kihei Clark was not good in this game. He's just 2 for 10. Um, Armand Franklin, 0 for 7. Um, they just they need to be better overall well, you know if they're going to compete with these top teams. You know who they kind of remind me of? Not not completely, but just similar, is Gonzaga, where uh, unlike Gonzaga, they need Timmy to play well and their backcourt to play well. The backcourt for Virginia has got to play well, and Vanderplas had a good game in this game. He had 20 points, only four rebounds. But they brought him in to be a, a distributor, almost like a Draymond Green type in a way. Not the great defensive player Draymond is, but kind of a, a point forward that can do a little bit of everything. He's a great passer out of the post, good vision, can knock shots down. He had 20, so he played well in this game. He led them in scoring. But their wing play, not necessarily the backcourt all the way, but their wing play, Jaden Gardner and Armand Franklin, I know he's technically a backcourt, but he plays on the wing in this, this group, but – Gardner and Franklin have to be better. Gardner at eight points, Armand Franklin zero points. Those two have to play better. Because you know at some point Beekman and Clark, you would think it's going to get it rolling and be a dynamic backcourt that we thought. Gardner, Franklin has to be better if Virginia wants to reach their ceiling. I agree. It's not even just them. Caden Shedrick had two points in this game. He shot two field goals. That's it. And he's been playing well. You mentioned that Baylor game. He played. He had like double digits. He was double digits uh, scoring in that game as well. And he played well in the Illinois game. Is 
as well too. But uh, yeah, he's got to play better. Their front court in general, whether it's Gardner, and I've been extremely disappointed with him to start the year. If you remember, if you guys checked our magazine out that we did this year, I spoke highly of Jaden Gardner because I thought he could average a double double this year or get a lot of double double games this season. And he, I don't think he has one to start the year off. So he struggled tremendously. And you mentioned Vonderplas. If he didn't come off the bench and put up 20 points. He saved Virginia's ass from getting blown out in Miami because he's the only one who particularly played well. You mentioned Beekman. Beekman almost had a triple-double. Ten points, nine rebounds, nine assists. But the biggest discrepancy in his stat line is he had four turnovers, and that's your starting point guard. That can't happen. I'm going to ask well, like I said, Beekman, Beekman had you... a, a better second half, but he was invisible in the first half. And, and he uh, can't wanna... come and go in games like that. I want to put it to the three of you. If you've seen these teams play for the first time, if you haven't seen Virginia or Miami play at all year, and you watch this game, first time watching them, and we told you one of them is the favorite to win the ACC, you walked away had to think Miami's the favorite to win the ACC in this game, didn't you? They might be the best team in the ACC. Might. I mean. Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, they definitely have the recipe. They have yeah. probably a guy who's going to compete for ACC Player of the Year in Wong. They have a physical front court, you know, player in Omir. They have some shooting. I mean, they could definitely get it done. And then Nigel Pack hasn't played well so far. You know, Nigel Pack was a great player for Kansas State last year. If he comes on a little bit, you know, that may give them two stars in that backcourt. Hey, I do. This brings up a real quick discussion and we'll move on. Looking around at the ACC with nobody really standing out at the top like we thought we would with Virginia and North Carolina. Duke Tuck and L um, last week, the Wake Forest. When you look around the ACC, what do you make of this mumbled, jumbled, like four or five, six teams all competing for the top spot? I mean, I don't want to completely excuse Duke's loss, but I think that game is a little different against Wake Forest if they have Lively and Whitehead. Um but still, the, there's not a clear front runner right now. Um, you know, you mentioned it. Miami might be the favorite. Virginia, Duke are obviously still in the mix. Will UNC, you know, kind of insert themselves back into things? They're getting a little bit hot right now. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but Virginia Tech had a tough loss to Boston College on the road. Oh, Otherwise, they'd probably be right in this mix, too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Again, you know, we talked about it with the Big Ten, but... Will somebody emerge or will these teams just all beat up on each other where they all end up with five or six losses and it kind of hurts the conference as a whole, you know, come tournament time? Well, here's my thoughts is that right now there is no front runner. Virginia, North Carolina, Duke's not standing out above the rest like we thought. So because of that, I think it's going to go all season long where teams in the middle of the pack, middle upper of the pack, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Miami, all these teams are going to rotate wins with one another. And I think the ACC champion, whoever that may be at the end of the season, is going to win the conference with like six losses. That's what I think we're heading towards. And I think that, and that's what I was just saying. I think ultimately that kind of hurts the conference come tournament time because then you're not going to have a team who's a top four seed probably. I mean, you're probably looking at the conference champion as like a five seed and everybody going from there. You want to hear a crazy stat that I figured out um, uh, a couple weeks uh, about once this game was played? You know, this was a top 25 matchup. Uh, this is the first top 25 matchup that ACC's had since February of 2021. Damn. That's how bad, that's how like big of a jump they've taken 
uh, a falling off of being one of the best conferences in college basketball. Now they're not even in discussion to be in my eyes, third, the third best conference in college basketball. That is a ridiculous stat. Yeah, that's not good. That's wild for the ACC, but it hurts when teams like Syracuse are so bad and Florida State's been awful this and year Louisville and sucks. Louisville sucks. Like the yep, teams that are yep. normally the, the, <laughs> the teams that are normally like the strength and the core of the middle are not good right now. And nobody's standing out at the top. So you have this like like we mentioned like five six teams in the the upper half that are kind of there the middle's not that great. NC State's another one of those teams that they can beat you at home, but they can get beat by 30 on the road. So it's a it's a mess, man, but I think it's going to make for an entertaining conference race. I think it's going to make for a hell of an entertaining conference race. Absolutely. I think we'll know a lot more about NC State after this uh, showdown with Duke that they have coming up on, I think it's January 4th, um, because like you said, they've just been inconsistent so far, and honestly, a lot of their wins are against teams that you know we would expect them to beat. Um, but they blow a huge lead against Miami in the second half. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see with a team like them if they're able to sort of stay in that middle of the pack or if they fall down to the bottom of the pack like we thought they were going to be before the season. Speaking of disappointing, Phil, what the hell happened? We we Off air after the Bryan interview, we talked so much shit about Missouri. We said there's no way Illinois don't whoop their ass. Missouri gets beaten their other cross or their border showdown against Kansas. We thought for sure Illinois had this in the bag, and Missouri said, not today, my friends, because Missouri put an absolute whooping on the the fighting Illini in St. Louis, beat them 93-71. By far, Illinois' worst loss of the year. Uh, take us through it, man. What the hell happened? I mean, yeah, it was brutal. We, we literally talked about it right before the game, and I was like, nope, not worried at all. Illinois is going to handle business tonight. Um, but you know, the arch, I did also mention that Missouri seems to always give us problems in the arch rivalry. So I'd probably be wrong, but, uh, some rumors that, you know, the veteran guys aren't necessarily buying into Underwood shtick that he he's a little hands-on for some guys. Um, I think maybe the guys that he didn't necessarily recruit out of high school, some of these more veteran guys like Terrence Shannon, um, no specific names have been mentioned, but, uh, I think Underwood does come off as a little bit corny. So I can see how how maybe with these older guys, they're like, you know, just shut the fuck up and let me play, dude. Like, we'll, we're, we'll run a system and all that, but I don't need you in my ear all the time. You know, he's very animated. Um, I also think Coleman Hawkins, the inconsistency, man. Some days he comes out and is a triple-double threat, and then you have games like this where he's just awful. I mean, he four points, six turnovers, uh, six rebounds, but 0 for 6 from 3 two for eight from the field in general. I mean, we just can't have performances like that out of him. Do you think RJ Melendez? Do you, do you think Coleman Hawkins is falling in love with shooting a three as a big man? Cause I do. Uh, I do. I, and I think that's an element to his game that he needs to have, but like you can't go Oh, for six, especially not in the flow of this offense. Like if you're Oh, for three or Oh, for four, then maybe you got to stop pulling the trigger on that look today and, yeah. and contribute in other ways. I mean, you're bringing up the three point shooting. That's not even what's most concerning to me. It's, Six turnovers. You cannot have six turnovers as a player in a game. I mean, Illinois has 17 turnovers overall in this game, but nobody else is egregious. You have two from Mayer, two from Shannon. Epps has three. I mean, if you don't have his six turnovers, it's not a bad game as far as taking care of the ball goes. So that's unacceptable. But 
RJ Melendez hasn't taken a huge step forward like a lot of people were expecting. He's done literally nothing, basically. Um, Him and Sky Clark in this game combined for as many points as the four of us did against Missouri. And I was just about to bring Sky Clark up, too. There's been a lot of growing pains with Sky Clark. Um, he's had moments where he's looked unbelievable and like one of the you know top 10, 15 freshmen in the country. And then he's had quite a few games like this where he's just been non-existent. Um, they Jaden Epps, it has been some moments where he's been really good, but he tried to do too much in this game. I mean, he goes two for eight from three. Terrence Shannon's 0 for five from three. Um, just seven for 31 from three overall, 22%. You're not going to win too many games like that. Uh, just a, a terrible overall performance. And- outside of Matthew Mayer, Illinois starting five outside of Mayer was 0 of 14 from three point. Yeah, that's yep. not going to win you a lot of games. The other thing I want to mention on Coleman Hawkins is I feel like he's got some information over the offseason from potential draft people that being 6'10", he's going to have to step his game out, which has worked in games where you beat um, – was it Baylor or UCLA? I forget which one you beat. In UCLA. Vegas. UCLA. When he played phenomenal. And you've mentioned he's been triple-double threats, but this is the flip side. He's 6'10", running almost like a point forward, point center type deal. And you're going to have games like this where he settles for the three-point shot, goes 0 of 6, has six turnovers because he's trying to make decisions when he should – understand his role that he needs to be a pick and pop big not a point forward big trying to run the point guard spot it's not going to work consistently like that if he would no I, if he would evolve his game to hey i will take the three because i have to and i have the ability to hit some but out of the offense where i'm picking and popping or in transition threes as opposed to hey give me the ball let me try to set up the offense that's not going to cut it no, I agree. I think you can have elements of that. I mean, I think you can work that in like, okay, hey, we need to give Shannon a breather on this possession. Let's let Coleman Hawkins work something out of the high post. You know, you can do things like that. But as far as having him in this point forward role, like you mentioned, consistently, it's just not going to work. And Hawkins is at his best for this team as like a high effort guy. You know, he can hit the boards hard. He can get the loose balls. He's fairly athletic. Um, he can switch a little bit but he's not going to be a feature guy. And so I think seeing him sort of teeter on this wanting to be featured with Terrence Shannon, like they need to let that go and let him go out there and be 25 minutes of just fucking making your life miserable as far as how hard he plays and how high his motor is. Yeah, not a great look for Illinois, but real quick on the flip side for Missouri, we we joked about their, I mean, they're 11 and one. And they completely turned the roster over, new head coach and all. And we joked about their schedule being so bad. They lose the game to Kansas in their first big game, embarrassingly. But they turn around and blow out another rival. So they're 1-1 one and one in big games right now. They're 11-1. and one. What do we make of Missouri? Does this look like a current NCAA tournament team? Kobe I mean... Round went for 31 in this game. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about him. I'm glad you just mentioned him. Yeah, he went 31 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists, 10 to 15 from the field, 3 or 4 from the three-point line, and hit all of his free throws. He was a monster. Illinois could not contain him at all. No matter what they did defensively, they could not stop Kobe Brown from going off and getting what he wants. So he played absolutely ridiculous. And as far as Missouri making the tournament, I mean, they got their their marquee win against Illinois, beating the shit out of them. Uh, It's a top 25 uh, matchup they they just won. 
But as far as them being a tournament team, I think they're going to struggle tremendously in the uh, the SEC this year. I think they're going to have probably close to double-digit losses. Um, to be fair, they shot 10 of 20 from the three-point line, 50%. I don't think they're going to do that again the rest of the SEC play. Uh, they might shoot about 40% in one game, but in a couple games, but I don't think they're going to shoot as, as good as they did against this Illinois game. Um, they played well. But I don't think they can consistently play well in the SEC when there's a lot of great, good, good to great teams in the SEC, and I think they're going to take a lot of losses. So I don't think they're getting to the tournament. Well, you mentioned Kobe Brown with his 31 points, but he's one of the most improved shooters in the nation this year. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout the season because I think that'll be key to their success. But, you know, he had never shot over 25% from three in his career, shot just 20% last year, and he's shooting 44.4% right now. And it's not on like a ton of threes, but I mean, he's taken three or four per game, it looks like. Um, so if he can keep that up, I think Missouri can probably, you know, maybe get through SEC play with seven, eight losses and be a, a solid tournament team. But if that, you know, goes back to the mean of him shooting about 30% on the year, then they're going to really struggle. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, this week, it seems that we're pretty much done with non-con games. Everybody now is going to be in conference play. SEC starts up their conference play, and let's stay on Missouri. We'll just do these rapid fire real quick. Wednesday night, Kentucky at Missouri. It's another big test for both teams. Kind of thoughts and previews real rapid fire quick on this. Can the Cats go into Missouri with a team that's coming with a lot of confidence that we just talked about and take a road dub with the view of Louisville in sight on Saturday? Uh, I think they win this game. I'm not a fan of Kentucky's offense or lack of offense. I don't think anybody is. Yeah, um, the offense is just fucking – we mentioned it last week. There is no offense with this Kentucky team. It's a lot of ISO play. Um, But I think they'll be able to do enough. I mean, to be fair, we said it with Illinois that – I didn't think um, Missouri had anything for Dane Deja. I didn't think they was going to stop him from getting what he wants. I'm going to say the same thing for Oscar Shibway, who's the winning national player of the year. I just don't think they're going to be able to stop him. Um, I think Weaves hits a couple threes. He has not played well. Uh, I think Frederick does a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, which I mean extremely disappointing with his defensive presence to start the year because that's something we was talking about to start the season, how not only can he light it up from three, but how he was a good two-way player and he can get it done on the defensive side of the ball. That's come to not be true to start the year, so I think he can play well. I think Kentucky wins this game by eight points or more, gets the job done, and looks forward to that Saturday game against Louisville. Like that's, I, I think overall, 100% Kentucky goes into Missouri and gets the win. Uh, I think they just, like they said, uh, they just don't have anything down low to contend with Oscar. And I think it's a pretty pretty high-scoring uh, outing for Kentucky for the win. Yeah, I think, uh, like I just mentioned, if Kobe Brown shoots the ball well, Missouri could make it interesting. But overall, Kentucky just has too many pieces, and uh, they beat Missouri pretty handily. Guys, I I got my Big Blue Nation shit on right now, but we don't play well in Missouri historically here lately. That's a tough place to play. And um, I just don't trust our offense on the road. Home team's different. On the road, neutral site's completely different. If Cal is smart, and I will say this real quick since I didn't mention rapid fire, the game the other night, we struggled against Florida A&M for a while and before we finally put them away and beat them by like 22 points. But the lineup down the stretch, he – Tuck Severe Wheeler out and put Kaysan Wallace at the point guard. Kaysan 
We ran like 11 straight possessions of high pick and roll. We scored a bucket just about every single time. Kaysom Wall's 27 points, hit like six threes in that game, May I like seven assists. If Kentucky's going to evolve their offense, you put Kaysom Wallace at the point guard, you run the high pick and roll, put shooters in the corners. That's it. If Kyle's smart, that's what you do. Don't say in severe shouldn't play because he can come off the bench and change pace, but that should be it. I'm saying Missouri wins this game because we don't play well down there lately, and I don't trust us. I think Missouri knocks us off. I'm just saying. I think that's fair. I uh, wouldn't shock me if it happens. But you just said it yourself. If Cal is smart, um, we've shown, especially his recent years, that he's just not very smart when it comes to making adjustments and uh, making game plans going to the game. So it, saying if Cal is – that's like the equivalent of saying IU's going to win a national title. Um, just ain't going to happen. So, I mean, we'll see. I still think Kentucky gets his job done, though. I don't think Missouri contains him. Hey, real quick, again, rapid fire because we got we're shows almost over here. Also, Wednesday night, Villanova's starting to play better with Cam Whitmore. That they're getting a little hot too, kind of like North Carolina. They go at number two, UConn. UConn, in a lot of people's eyes, is the best team in the nation. Can Villanova pull the upset in the Gamble Pavilion on Wednesday night? I'll make it the easiest rapid fire. No. And I put just as much stock into them going in and winning that game as we'll get into double digits for wins. Um, I got to disagree with Corey here. I think they can. I don't predict that they necessarily will. It would take a big performance from Cam Whitmore, which he's certainly capable of. But UConn just has too many pieces as well. Um, I think UConn takes that game by 10-plus. UConn keeps the streak going, baby, 10-plus. Listen, that streak almost got broken by Georgetown. They struggled the majority of that game. They didn't start to pull away. They had they was down with 10 minutes to go in the second half. Um, that's a Georgetown team who hasn't won a top 25 game and since I don't know how fucking long. Um, probably same amount of time as same, same amount of the drought as IU's national title drought. But, uh, you know, it's I think Villanova gets the job done. Cam Wentmore, I think he is the best player on the floor. I know Sonogo's played well throughout the season, but I think Cam Wentmore, this is a game that he might go for 30-plus. Villanova upsets him. And if, they, if you're UConn, this is a game that you – it wouldn't be a big thing if you lost because uh, you don't want really want to go into Big East play undefeated, to be honest, because you're going to play a lot of good opponents in there, even though the Big East has not shown that they're good this year. Um, I- I'm saying I'm with Phil. I think Villanova can because the way Cam Whitmore is playing, but no, nah, I-, I think UConn wins this game and keeps the double digit scoring streak alive. Saturday, real quick, Peyton, it's the Bluegrass Showdown, and I'm going to be the first to admit that we say it's the best rivalry in college basketball, but not this year. Not this year, because you guys aren't holding your end of the bargain up. Uh, We're not the best rivalry this year. We're taking a year off, actually two years, because we didn't play last year. But, but, but. Wait, 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 wait. The best rivalry in college basketball? wasn't played last year is that what i just heard it was definitely played last year well because yeah no that's what i that's what i thought yeah i mean if it's the best rivalry in college basketball then it's got to be played i mean yeah no no years off hey it was played twice last year actually i agree Corey. i think we're talking about two different games but it, it was not at the doing of the team in lexington i promise you that it was the team in louisville but let's get to it. 
Let's get to it. COVID. Fuck out of here. Kentucky, Kentucky, Louisville, Saturday. I'm gonna let you, the other two nonpartisan people take uh, take the first volley at this. Phil, Corey, Kentucky, Louisville, Saturday. Kentucky, huge, thirty plus. I'll put as much stock into Louisville being a part of this game as Peyton having one favorite team. <laughs> I don't even know why you laugh at that. That shit ain't funny. He says that shit every fucking week he's on besides the last two weeks because Indiana's lost. Kiss my ass. Um, Actually, fuck, I don't know. Congrats. You got a big win against Elon. Yeah, you definitely got your job done. Congrats. Um, uh, Hey, don't worry. Uh, we knocked off a team that you guys probably would have lost to, so it's fine. Who? I don't even remember who you even fucking played at this point. North Carolina. Uh, uh, North Carolina. You know, they lost four in a row, and they fucking beaten them out. Hey, let's get Actually, they're in the top 25. Hey, stay on top of it. Kentucky, Louisville. Kentucky, Kentucky Louisville. Louisville. Fuck Indiana right now. Yeah, fuck Carolina and Duke, too, because even though it's not the best rivalry this year, it's the best rivalry in the history of college basketball. I don't give a shit what anyone fucking Ball. says. Um, that's fine. You can agree to disagree all you want, but the facts are facts, and that's a fact. Uh, that's one of Phil's facts right there. Um, this is one of the least excited matchups in my eyes because I am not looking forward to this game at all. Um, we got nothing to lose, and we got everything to gain, and it's the opposite for Kentucky. They got nothing to gain from this, but they got everything to lose for this, so it's a yep. definitely interesting concept here. Um, I'd be happy if Louisville can keep this game under double digits. Um, doesn't matter if we lose or win. Uh, I don't think really winning is an option unless unless L. Ellis can go for 40-plus because I think he's going to have to do some incredible things. Um, we don't have any – we got the size, I think, to compete with Kentucky on the front court. Um, the only way I can see us potentially winning this game is if it's a stuck-in-the-mud defensive battle and no team's hitting shots because I think that, even though that might work more in Kentucky's favor because I think Kentucky has uh, an elite defense this year, I think it can help us tremendously. Um, and if this game's close, it's going to be interesting, but I'm sorting the green with Phil. I don't think it's going to be 30-plus, but I do think that Kentucky's going to win this game by 15 or more. I'm paying – we have the same we have the same like mentality because I don't think a lot of the either fan base is really particular hyped for this game because you guys aren't good and I'm not being mean but you're just not good and we yeah. are so 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 you mentioned it we have a lot to lose in this game literally we lose this game against Louisville at home in Rupp Arena to a bad bad historically bad Louisville team season's over with like oh, yeah, you can yeah. you can close the chapter on this season because there's no coming back from that. And the same and thing for us. If we win this game, it could change our season for the better. We can go on a big season. winning streak, and we can shut everybody up if we potentially win this game. So, so, so there's not a whole lot of the gain from this, which is sad because it's normally Louisville. And I don't think the fan base – it'll be packed. Rupp Arena will be packed. But at the same time, Kentucky football plays their bowl game the exact same time. Yeah. And so the fan base is going to be divided. I just don't think people care. I, I honestly got the feeling is I don't think people care. Normally the week of the Louisville game, there's a massive buzz and electricity. I don't feel it. I don't hear about it. Nobody really gives a shit other than the fact that it is Louisville and you want to beat them. But th there's not a whole lot to gain from Kentucky winning this game. And on paper, we should win by a lot. But again, it's a rivalry game. These are one of those games where Louisville's probably going to come out and hit a shit ton of shots that they normally haven't hit and put us under some pressure. And I think we win this game and maybe pull away late, but I think it's going to be a nail master because 
there's just there's too much that Louisville can gain and we can lose from this, and I just I don't trust it. I, I think we win by double digits, but I'm I don't trust it. Kentucky, Kentucky wins though. If potentially, if somehow, if God's given me a fucking another Christmas gift that I've never really asked for, because I ain't going to ask for too much this year for Christmas. Um, if somehow, some way, Louisville wins this fucking game, I don't care if it's by one point or a hundred, I don't care. My ass is heading down to 4th Street down in Louisville, and I'm partying all night long. I might stay there for a night, I don't care. Because that would be ridiculous if Louisville wins. I just, I, I don't think it's going to happen at all. Well, I don't think it's going to be close. Well, I'm. It's a. It's a shame it's Louisville's. This, it's, it's a. It's a shame Louisville's this bad. But real quick, some other ones. UConn. We mentioned on on Saturday at noon. They go to Xavier. That's a tricky matchup. If you didn't think Villanova would beat them at UConn, I think this is the game where Xavier beats UConn. I, I like. I think Xavier size wise matches up with them. I think they can hold their home, uh, hold their own backcourt wise. I think UConn goes down. This is UConn's first loss at Xavier on Saturday. Josh, I'm right there with you. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think coming off of the win earlier in the week against Villanova, which might be, you know, I said 10 plus, but it's going to be one of those games that, you know, is just at arm's length throughout. So I think they're going to be a little, you know, emotionally exhausted from that one, having to go on the road at Xavier, a team who's versatile. I think Xavier pulls it off. Go ahead, Coy. I think this is – I agree with both of you guys 100%. Uh, Josh, you beat me to it. I was going to agree that Xavier, or Xavier comes in and takes this one 100% in my eyes. So, I think uh, I think they just have too much going, being a home game as well. I think they sneak out and, and get the first loss for uh, UConn. Real quick, Peyton, before you say it, and I think, Phil, you'll agree with this. I think the fact that Jack Nunge is so big, he matches up with Donovan Klingon and Adamas Sonogo well, and he can shoot a little bit, which will pull him away from the rim. I was just going to say the shooting is a bigger factor for me than the size because he can pull both of those guys away a little bit and try to spread the floor out, uh, give those guards some room to work. And, Sully you know, Boom's Xavier been, has some shooting. Sully Boom's been fucking fr- tremendous this year. Absolutely. Um, I always rave about him. I'm a big Adam Kunkel guy. Uh, you know, they're going to get some looks to Adam Kunkel on this one too. Yeah. Peyton, we going with the Xavier sweep here? No, I think – Connecticut does the same thing that IU did to Xavier at Xavier in the same fucking building. Um, I think Connecticut is going to – Sonogo is going to be the best player on the floor. Um, I do like the front court of Jack Nunge and Fremantle, but they played well in that game against IU, but wasn't enough to beat IU in that game. And most importantly, IU's backcourt, Xavier Johnson, had a hell of a game in that one as well. So I think Trish and Newton for UConn's going to have a big game – in this one, uh, Connecticut gets the job done after losing to Villanova. Let's not forget, Sean Miller's one of the best schematic coaches in the game as far as uh, making adjustments on the fly. I think that's going to be a fun one. Some other ones, just real quick, Arizona at Arizona State, big rivalry game. Arizona State just got in the top 25 and then fell out. Um, bad loss. But any chance that Arizona State pulls the upset and knocks Arizona off? I don't see it. I think Arizona has too much size, too much depth, and overall shooting and overall capability. I think, uh, I think they still stay pretty handedly with this. Yeah, I agree. I think the front court's too much, and Arizona has the best front court in the country. Arizona wins this. Arizona State lost to San Francisco by thirty-seven points. Um, if you lose to San Francisco by thirty-seven points, I'm not sure that you have any hope in the world of hanging with Arizona. So Arizona, big. 
We'll go with the Wildcat Sweep because I like Arizona in this one as well. Red River rivalry here, part one, Texas at Oklahoma. To me, this says upset alert. We talked about the Chris Beard situation. Texas hasn't really played that well. I mean, they lost Illinois a couple weeks ago, which is no shame, but they didn't really play well. They haven't looked the greatest in the last couple weeks. And Oklahoma, the one thing you can guarantee with Porter Moser teams as they're going to defend their fucking ass off. I think this is a game, the first one to 60 wins. I got Oklahoma with the upset. No, nope, I'll keep it short and sweet. Texas locks them down like they've been locking basically everybody down and uh, just chokes the life out of them 70 to like 55. Is there a potential chance that Chris Beard will be back? That's what I was going to ask. Is this the, uh, everything that just came out? Is that when he gets reinstated? I mean, I think there's a potential chance, but they haven't said anything yet. I'll so I think it, it's it's sort of one of those things where it's he potentially comes back at any point now. I'll put it like this. If he's back, Texas wins. If he's not back, Oklahoma wins. I'm sad to say that I agree with Peyton, as weird as that is. I don't usually do that. So. Well, interesting enough. A couple of good games this week. Uh, as we start to get back in the post-holiday flow, conference play definitely ramping up. The, everybody back in the conference play from here on out. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Wrapping this show up. Um, didn't have not a whole lot of bank ones. We didn't plan on it, but I do have the one, and I will double down. I say Xavier takes down UConn for the bank on it this week, which I got a win last week. So I'm back on the board again. Oh, yeah, I forgot I to put the board up, but here's the board. Uh, Josh is 3-4, I'm 2-6, and six, and Phil is 1-6. Me and Phil, we got to get our shit together. We can't let Josh beat us. I know, I'm doubling up this week. So I'm, I got two, but they're both from the same game, and it's a game that you gentlemen will both be at, actually. Ah, there you go. Let's go. The, uh, the Bellarmine-Liberty game, and my first one is bank on it. Darius McGee puts up 25-plus points in this game. I can't wait to see him. My second bank on it, though, is that despite those 25 points, Scotty Davenport and the Bellarmine Knights pull the win off. Love it. Love it. Uh, I'll double up this week as well. I got two bank on it. Uh, funny enough, one of my bank on it is actually that same game. Um, I think Bellarmine hits 12 or more threes in that game against Liberty, so bank on that. And my second bank on it is that L. Ellis has 25 points or more. That's it, because I think he has to. Corey, do you have a bank on it this week? I got a bank on it. The UK beats Louisville by 25-plus. I like uh, it. I like yeah. it. And then shout-outs. Didn't have any plan. Peyton, I know you got one, which is an amazing one. This kid has been tearing it up at his new school, so go ahead. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Louisville and Kentucky, former Louisville commit and former Louisville, uh, Kentucky player, uh, Bryce Hopkins has been killing it this year. Uh, he was a big factor in that Marquette comeback victory that they had um, early, I think it was on Tuesday night. Um, they came back and beat Marquette, which is Marquette. It's a very talented squad. We've seen it in person, Josh, at that Purdue game. Uh, Bryce Hopkins, though, 29 points, 23 rebounds. He played huge. He's a big factor in that, and he's played well all season long. And if he can continue to just play well, he might be one of the most improved players. He probably is my most improved player in the country, not just Big East play. Now, I'm with you. I love the Bryce Hopkins shout, 29 and 23. That kid – We've seen glimpses of the LSU game last year where he single-handedly willed Kentucky to a win. But, Phil, wrapping this show up, I am glad you mentioned it. This Thursday, Peyton and I will be at the Bellarmine Liberty game. Excited to be there. Uh, talk to Coach Davenport. Talk to the players. Get to see a top player in the country and Darius McGee. 
Phil, you mentioned it just a little bit ago. You'll be at the John Wall getting to see guys like DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw, getting to hopefully see our boys from um, from uh, uh, Silas. Combine. Combine, thank you. Silas and uh, Rakeese Passmore. It'd be a lot of fun, man. A lot of good college basketball and future college basketball players we'll get to watch this week. And excited, man. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, you know, got to spend some time with the people that matters in your life. It's not about the gifts for me. It's about being around people and seeing them happy. So as long as you got to do that, I hope it was a good Christmas for you. But now we turn our attention. Conference play is ramping up around the nation. The major conferences will be in conference play. We will start separating the contenders from the pretenders from here on out. The next two months are going to be a sprint, not a marathon, because when you look up in a blink of an eye, it's going to be March, and we're going to get ready for conference tournaments and championship week. A lot of action coming at you hot and heavy and fast from the Everything College Basketball Group. Buckle in, because the next couple months are going to be a wild ride. 2022 has been tremendous to all of us here at everything college basketball both on a personal and a professional level the brand has grown by leaps and bounds our connections have grown you're starting to see us getting to cover games live and in person with media credentials we have went from a a passion project which it still is to now a legitimate media member in the world of college basketball and that doesn't happen without the great support of the everything college basketball the ecb fam as we like to call you all so thank you for a tremendous 2022 and 2023 i promise you will be better and bigger and badder and i promise you that we are on our way and it's all thanks to the support from the ecb family and everybody who stands behind us so wrapping up for the final show of 2022 until 2023 and next year, we will catch you guys down the road. Hope you guys have a great holiday. Stay safe on the New Year's Eve. And we'll catch you for episode 128 in the new year. We'll see you guys next week.